0: Tonight's going to be a great night. If you're new to um, what we do here, if this is your first time or you're a guest, welcome. Like I said, we're going to take a few moments. I'm going to read from the Bible. Um, it'll be good. Hopefully, we'll laugh together. Maybe we'll cry together. At the very least, we'll, we'll spend the next 30 minutes together, and then we'll we'll stand and we'll sing some songs with the team who will join us, and we'll take some time to focus on God and whatever you... whatever your notion is of God or what do you believe about God um, you're welcome here so welcome home you belong we don't assume that everyone that's in this room um, has professed faith in Jesus that's okay um, but I think it's going to be hard for you not to recognize how good he is once we get done tonight so that's kind of the goal and then we'll, we'll sing we'll sit back down and then we will go get some food um, or happy hour or whatever you're going to do sound good sound like a plan all right all right, the enthusiasm is stifling. All right, let's go. Let's go to um, the Bible. I'm going to read from two places tonight. First place is the book of Judges. Anybody want a water? Yeah, I knew it. I knew, I knew you would do it, Elijah. We're athletes, it's kind of what we do. It's not a big deal. Um, book of Judges in the Old Testament, I want to read, I want I kind of want to take you from the thought of this guy named Gideon in the Bible. If you haven't heard about him, you'll get to know him tonight. Um, But let me give you the context. Before I read how his story starts, um, I want to kind of give you what how the story ends and then so when i read it to you you'll be like ah now it has more meaning so gideon is this guy he's a farmer he um he's part of the israelites and they're being attacked by this group of bad guys called the midianites there's about i don't know hundreds of thousands of them the bible says and judges that they outnumber the sands on the seashores and so these guys are coming and they're stealing their crops and they're killing the people right and so gideon is in a wine press he's hiding and he's It's kind of like hiding from the bad guys. And God shows up, the angel Lord, and says, Gideon, you mighty warrior. And Gideon's like, who are you talking to? I'm a farmer, I'm not a warrior. And so him and God have this interchange, which we'll read in just a second. And God tells Gideon, I wanna use you to save my people. So long story short, Gideon um, gets 32,000 fighting men. And he's like, okay, we'll go up against, it's like hundreds of thousands. The enemy is hundreds of thousands and Gideon has 32,000. God's like, you got too many people. He's like, that's crazy. We don't have enough people. Well, God instantly eliminates 22,000 guys. He doesn't kill them. He just tells them they could go. (laughs) God killed all those men? No, he just said they could leave, they leave. So now we got 10,000 versus hundreds of thousands. It's ridiculous. God still says we have way too much. He narrows it down to 300 men. Have you seen the movie 300? This is where it started. This is Gideon and his 300 men. True story against hundreds of thousands. And here's the plan. Here's the battle plan that God gives Gideon. He says you're gonna take trumpets, jars, and torches. And you're gonna break the jars, blow the trumpets, and light the torches. That's, that's the battle plan for 300 men to defeat hundreds and hundreds of thousands. Gideon doesn't know anybody. He's like, all right, let's do it. They do that. They break the jars. They play a little ditty. They like the match. And The people, all the bad guys, they lose their mind. They think they're being attacked and they kill each other. So Gideon and his boys are eating popcorn while the enemy kills themselves. So Gideon becomes a champion, a hero, and that's the story. OK, so that's how the whole thing plays out. True story. Now I'd like to read to you that first interaction with Gideon and God, because now it's going to make sense to you and it'll be all right. Sound good? Now the angel of the Lord came and sat under the terra of Ophrah, which belonged to Joash the Abizzarite, while his son Gideon was beating out wheat in the wine press to hide it from the Midianites. And the angel of the Lord appeared to him, and he said, he said to him, the Lord is with you, O mighty man of valor. Gideon said to him, please, sir. I kind of think he said it in a British accent, because he's like, please, sir, if the Lord is with us... <laughs> That's pretty good. Why then, why then has all this happened to us? And, we're all, and where are all his wonderful deeds that our fathers recounted to us, saying, did not the Lord bring us out of Egypt? But now the Lord has forsaken us, and he's given us unto the hand of Midian. And the Lord said to him, turned to him, and said, go in this might of yours and save Israel from the hand of Midian. Do not I send you. And he says to him, please, Lord. <laughs> now it's Lord. Please, Lord, how can I save Israel? Behold, my clan is the weakest, and I'm the least in my father's house. And the Lord said to him, but I will be with you, and you will strike down the Midianites as one man. That's good. It's kind of now you know how it all began. You know how it ends, but here's how it started. We'll take most of tonight to kind of break down this conversation. I think there's a lot here that applies to all of us that will help us. But let me read one more verse just because I think it will make it a lot more provocative. Go with me to Psalms 23, verse 4. Psalms 23, verse 4. Even though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, I will fear no evil, for you are with me. Your rod and your staff, they comfort me. One other version says, yea, though I walk through the valley of deep darkness, I fear no evil, for you are with me. You are with me. I'd love to title this talk tonight, You Will Never Know Unless You Go. Yeah, you felt it, didn't you? I felt it. You will never know unless you go. Can we pray real quick? God, thank you for tonight. Thank you for our friends that have gathered. Thank you that we get to be here. Lord, you know our stories better than we know them. I pray you'd speak to us as only you can. We are not interested in religion or a system of beliefs, but we are interested in a person whose name is Jesus. So God, you know where we're at. I pray that you would take the words I'm gonna say, and Lord, you would do so much more than those words. You would speak to the hearts of every man and woman in this place. In Jesus' name I pray, and everyone said amen. Just about a week and a half ago, my wife and I got back from what is our dream trip. She's turning 40 in about a month, and so we went to Europe. She's always wanted to go to Paris and Venice, and, and we've been to Rome, but we went to Rome, so we, we, it was the best. We went for two weeks, we went to Rome for three nights, we went to Venice for three nights, and we went to Paris for eight, and it was the best. We, it was so romantic. We danced under the Eiffel Tower, which isn't romantic if you've ever been there. It's, it's, it's a circus. In fact, <laughs> I thought I was going to get mugged the whole time we were dancing. We found another place to dance, um, and you know, it was just, I mean, we had cafe au lait. We ate carbs. You can eat carbs in Paris because you walk everywhere, so it doesn't matter. So that was awesome. It's <laughs> so much bread, um, and we just had the best time. It was literally the trip of a lifetime, but about four days into it, We were in Venice, and I decided to have a salmon quiche. Felt right, looked good, and I contracted salmonella poisoning. Oh, you know. Okay, somebody like, what's salmonella poisoning? Is that food poisoning? No, it's much worse. Like if food poisoning were like you know struggling through the summer without air conditioning, um, salmonella poisoning like living forever in the hottest, deepest part of hell. Okay, it was absolutely. Insane, and I don't know if you know how salmonella poisoning happens or what it does to your body, but I, for four days, was just a victim of the salmonella. My mom said to me when I got back, I told her like I got salmonella poisoning. She's like, you know why you got it, right? And I was like, yeah, I think the food was bad. She's like, no, because men shouldn't eat quiche. <laughs> like I never knew that. <laughs> what if I kill the chickens myself wait you don't have to kill them they just lay eggs (laughs) um and so anyways here's the thing I get about four hours after I contract it I realized because I didn't vomit I want to thank God for that right now I never threw up once but I did everything else and I don't want to get graphic because we're all in here together and this could get really awkward but let's just say um every 10 minutes I would go into the facilities and lose my life okay can we just say that I could not keep up with how much life I was losing. Oh man, I have never, it was the worst. I mean, I'm drinking one day, the first day I drank three gallons of water and I wasn't even close to replenishing what I had given to the porcelain God. You know, it was. It was really, really bad. And, it, and I started, and I got a fever because, and this is salmonella poison that night. And then I've never had this in my life. I started having shakes, like uncontrollable shakes. And I've never had that. Like I get to chill sometimes with a fever, but I was literally like shaking. Have you ever seen Rocky? You know Rocky Four, you know, where he's in the shower after the Russian beat his insides? And he's all like, yo, Adrian, you <laughs> know, like that? And he, he's like, I don't know what to do, but. Oh, I can't stop my hands from shaking. I'm <laughs> like, and I'm like, and I'm like, that was me. And I remember it's 2 a.m. that first night. My wife is sleeping in the bed and I'm sitting in the chair, and I cannot stop shaking I'm like and I and I it didn't help just the day before I was reading how like some tourists had been in Europe and they had contracted this disease and everyone's dying lately and I'm not making fun of that but I'm like I am one of them like whatever everyone's catching I think I caught it I didn't know I had salmonella poisoning so I'm sitting there I'm shaking I'm I'm dripping sweat from the fever I'm losing my life every 10 minutes in the restroom and my wife wakes up she's like babe are you okay Am I okay? Let me just say this. I play to this tough guy thing. I do, and I know that, and I have to own that. So like, I would be the personality, like if I fell right now off this stage, I wouldn't want you to be like, oh, I wouldn't want you to run over and be like, are you okay? I would be like, just pretend you didn't see it. Ignore my pain. Cause I would get up and be like, I'm totally good. I'm totally good. You know, like I don't want anyone to make a fuss. So I play to the tough guy thing. And so I'm certainly doing that with salmonella poisoning. She's like, are you okay? And I'm like, oops, I'm totally, I'm totally fine, yeah. I can't stop shaking, and I'm pretty sure I've died, you know, so I'm just, you know, and Jen is like, babe, well, make sure you drink. And I was like, I I, I would drink, but I've drinking all the water, and it's 2 a.m. in another country, and I don't speak the language, (laughs) you know, I'm like, and she's like, okay, well, I'll get you some in the morning. And my wife goes back to bed. (laughs) Now listen, I don't want her to, to, you know, dote over me, but there was a part in me, as I'm sitting in that hotel room in Venice, it was like, I wish she was a little more concerned. Like, I kind of wish she wasn't so calm. Like, I could be dying. We don't know what I have. And honestly, if I'm being honest, if she had panicked, I think I'd have been okay with it. Like, if she had lost herself and started screaming, and had it been me and that had been her, I promise you, I'd have been calling 911 or whatever three digits you dial in Europe, 244. I don't know what it is, but I'd have been getting emergency services, making a big deal. But she went to sleep. We woke up the next morning. I, I shook the whole night. Isn't that a song? We shook it all night long, right? That's the song. I shook all night long, not the way you think, in a different way. And I remember getting up, and Jen's like, "Okay, so I guess this is I guess this is you know we'll just stay in today." And I don't know what happened, but something clicked. I was like, "No, no, not today." not today salmonella poisoning you don't win today and I was like go to the store the Italian store you don't speak Italian but just a talk like this uh, like a and that's literally what they did I would walk around Italy being like hey mama pop-a-d-ye. and they're like you know they didn't appreciate it but I was and so I said go to the store get Imodium AD get Tylenol get ibuprofen get electrolytes get um Like vitamins, whatever you can find, and get, um, what is it, probiotics. I never do probiotics. Kombucha or whatever. I never do that. I did that in Venice. So she comes back. She's like, okay, here's all the drugs. And I overdosed on drugs. And they said, take one Imodium AD. I took four. (laughs) They're like, take two Tylenol and then four hours later I take two ibuprofen. I took two Tylenol and two ibuprofen simultaneously. I drink all the electrolytes. I killed the probiotic. and I'm like, let's go. And so for four hours, we just were in Venice. We were walking. I was like, oh, it's super hyped up. And then about four hours later, everything lost it all my whole life gone. You know, It's just was over and I'm sweating and shaking. So I just grabbed the drugs. I don't know if you think about that. This is what I did. I just killed all these drugs. I'm like, let's go again. And I did that for three days straight we didn't miss a single day so people ask me Billy have you ever had salmonella poisoning my answer is no salmonella poisoning had me and I was its worst nightmare (laughs) I'm saying I don't know why that happened because typically I would be the guy to just lay in bed and take a week off but no, I just like no this isn't right when I read Judges chapter 6 I see that kind of that kind of attitude with Gideon now maybe you don't but I see this part where Gideon's like enough's enough when the angel of the Lord shows up, Gideon isn't meek. He's not like, oh, I don't know what I do with myself. No, Gideon kind of like goes right at God. Like, why is this happening? And I, and I think something snaps for Gideon, who's a farmer, by the way. He's not a warrior at this point. He's a farmer. And he goes off. And I to. before we go any further, I want to set the record straight on Gideon. I feel like Gideon has gotten a bad rap over the years. I feel like preachers have maligned him for centuries from the stage. Um, we've called Gideon a coward. Ah, I don't think he's a coward. You're like, well, look at him. He's hiding out. Well, I mean, he's not running. He's still there. I mean, he's not a coward. He's not, he's not curdled up in a fetal position, sucking his thumb, asking mommy to turn the lights on. Like, he's, he's there. And then we say, well, he's, he's threshing wheat in a wine press. Like, he's hiding out in this wine press. He's hiding, so he's a coward. Well, I, don't, I don't think that makes him a coward. Let's just let's recap for a second. He's trying to provide for his family. He's going out to get food, take care of the people he loves. And the people that are the enemy, what they do is steal your food and they kill you. So I think he's just kind of being smart. He's like, hey, I don't want the food stolen. I'm trying to take care of my family. And people are like, well, he's doing the wrong thing. And I've heard preachers say this. I think I've been guilty of saying this years past. Well, as long as you're in the wrong place, you're going to end up doing the wrong thing, the wrong thing at the right time. You know, we kind of go down that. I was like, well, at least he's doing something. Can I just say that? Well, like we sit here and critique Gideon, at least Gideon was doing something. He was do- Sometimes you have to do what you can with what you have. At least Gideon did something. I think that is a principle in life that probably all of us could collectively be like, yeah, maybe just do something. So Gideon's like, I don't know. I mean, I guess I'll go fresh wheat in a wine press, see what I can make happen. I'm going to do something. And it got God's attention. God shows up. The angel of the Lord shows up and he says, hey, mighty warrior, which again, preachers were like mighty warrior. This guy is such a coward. He's a farmer. But can I just propose to you that God doesn't mock? We mock. I'm mocking right now. God doesn't mock. God is not sarcastic in the Bible. So when God showed up and called Gideon mighty warrior, he meant it. And this is true of God. God oftentimes sees in us what nobody else will see. Can I just be honest? God will see in you what you don't even see in yourself. So God says to Gideon, Hey, mighty warrior. And he begins to have this conversation with Gideon, and Gideon responds to him. And Gideon asks him these three, these three questions, which I want to get to, because I think all the questions that Gideon asks, they they apply to both of us. Here's a thought. People are like, Well, Gideon is scared. Of course, Gideon's scared. I'd be scared too. I don't think being scared makes us cowards. Can I just say that? It's how we respond in spite of our fears. That's, what are you willing to do in spite of your fears? I know people, you know people who have allowed their fears to stop them. We, um, we choose comfort over, over calling, safety over significance. We choose to settle for ordinary because we're afraid of what it would take to get to great, right? Can I just remind you at the, the, at the end of time, the Bible says this, that God will welcome us into heaven with a phrase. And he won't say, well planned, good and faithful servant. He's not gonna say, well thought through. He won't say, well said. There's one measuring stick when we get to heaven. God will say, well done, good and faithful servant. Well done, do something. Is it a coincidence that the first two letters of God's name are go? If you do it backwards, it's do? I think maybe it is, but still, it's pretty cool, <laughs> and we should probably bring that up right now. <laughs> yeah. um, so Gideon set the record straight. I don't think Gideon's a bad guy and I think we've given a bad rap. I think he's doing what he can, which should give you and I hope because I know there's many times in my life where I'm not doing everything right, but I'm doing what I can with what I have. Now, let me look at the three questions. What i want to do with the rest of our time is break down the three questions that Gideon levels at God. God stands in front of him in the form of an angel and Gideon levels these three questions. He asks him, why is this happening? Where is God? And how can I do it? Emphasis on I. Why is this happening? Where's God? He's left us. And how can I do it? These questions are questions you and I ask, whether you know it or not, we ask all the time in so many arenas. So I'd like to break those down for the next few moments and see if they can help us. First of all, why is this happening? That's in verse 13. Um, The question why will always exist. As long as there's breath in our lungs, we will have a why in our heart. Just so you know. And can I say two things just to be really clear about about the question why is it happening? First of all, um, you're not rebellious or a troublemaker because you ask questions. Can we just set that straight? Sometimes we're like, man, you're asking too many questions. That doesn't make you bad. In fact, the Bible says God is not intimidated by your questions. He doesn't get upset when we ask questions. He can handle our questions. He can handle our complaints. So asking questions isn't a bad thing. Let me say the second thing about this though. God doesn't have to answer your questions. Just because you asked, doesn't mean he has to give you an answer. And in America, that's hard for us, if you live in America, because we're like, hey, if I ask a question, I expect an answer. God doesn't have to answer your questions. Um, Parents, you could relate with this. Have you ever had, like, if your six-year-old child came up to you and said, Mommy, Daddy, where did I come from? Right? If you're a parent in here, you probably shouldn't answer that question right now while they're six, right? Like, there's going to come a time in life where we're going to have to delve into that, and you're going to have to explain to them when a daddy bear loves a mommy bear very much. They You know, you're going to have to go there, but you shouldn't do it when they're six because it's going to confuse them and it's going to traumatize them. Correct. Same is true with God. Sometimes we ask him questions and the answer to that question would not only confuse us, traumatize us, could very much even overwhelm us. So I think sometimes we should just collectively thank God for not answering our questions all the time. When I was dating my wife, Jennifer, she was um, was 16, I was 18, and my dad came down, um, he's now with Jesus, but he's kind of like Robert De Niro, he's like the godfather, right, so he comes down, he's in his robe, he's whistling, and he's getting like a tray and some sparkling juice, and he's got some cheeses and stuff, and he's like doing his thing, and he walks up, he's like, all right, you guys, tonight." and I'm like, she goes, what is going on with your dad? I'm like, oh, it's like tradition, him and my mom, you know, like twice a week they do this thing called celebration nights, where they just kind of like... Get some sparkling juice, some food. They watch TV, it's like their thing. She's like, they're doing more than watching TV. I'm like, no, no, they're not. Like they've been doing it since I was a kid. Like they just eat food, they watch their show. She's like, that TV is really loud. I'm like, that's because they're hard of hearing. Oh my word! And I, I, I don't know what is worse, that it took me to 18 years to, to realize the celebration night is not what I had originally thought it was. And I wanted to light myself on fire. That TV was so loud, and and I was like, oh, and I remember thinking to myself, I am so glad that my dad did not tell me what he was doing on celebration night, you know? Sometimes we just don't need to know. And here, can I just leave it at this? With the question why, we all have it. Whether you're watching this online, at a location, right here in the Saban Theater, we all have the question why. Please do not let that question sabotage your faith. Better question, who? You will not always get the answer to why, but you can always know the answer of who, and it is Jesus, he never fails, he'll never leave you. When I am plagued with the question why, I do my best to focus my intention on who. Who God is, he's a good God. Then Gideon says, why does this happen?" And then he says, without any answer, he says, where is God? Where is God? Now, if I was being practical, I'm there with Gideon, and if I was being sarcastic, I would say he's standing right in front of you. <laughs> Because literally, Gideon's asking the angel of God, who's God, where God is. And I'd be like, he, he's, he's actually right here. But isn't that true many times? We'll be in life we're like, where's God? And he's actually, for honest, right in front of us. But we don't see God all the time. Because he didn't show up the way we wanted him to show up. Um, he didn't come when we expected him to be there. Like it, it looks very different from what we had thought it would look like. And so we ask the question, where is God? And Gideon actually takes it a step further. Not only does he say, where is God? But he levels a bit of um, an accusation towards God, who is the angel of the Lord. He says, where is God? He used to help all of our family and my parents talked about it. And he said, God has forsaken us. So, I mean, you talk about who's a coward now. Gideon is the opposite of passive aggressive, which I appreciate. Because I think passive aggressive, people are like, we never fight. I've had married friends who've told us a couple times and I've called him on it, like, we never fight. I'm like, really? Because you know, passive aggressiveness is a way of fighting. It's like, I'd rather you punch me in the face than stab me in the back. And so when you say you never fight, in fact, if you're passive aggressive, all you do is fight all the time. <laughs> you're constantly in a fight. And so Gideon, I'm so grateful, he just comes straight out with God. Why is this happening? Where's God? And in fact, I think you've abandoned us. And look at the response from God. Now this is, this is a little much for Gideon. Like he's, he's getting pretty bold here, this farmer. Look how God responds. It's in verse, I don't know, somewhere up there. There you go. Thank you. Um, look what God says. He says, go in this strength you have. He doesn't say, whoa, 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 man. Check your tone. You Forgot your place. You know who you're talking to? He doesn't say, hey, man, I'm picking up on some negative, bad energy here. He's going to say, are you complaining, Gideon? Is that what you're doing? If I not, God doesn't do any of that. I would say that. I'm like, I swear to God, say it to me one more time. See what happens, right? God literally says this. He goes, go in this strength you have. And I'm going to say it so you can see. I'm going to do a hand motion to help you understand like, the context of it. He's like, go in this strength you have. see that You can't see that in the Bible, but look at it right here. He's like, go in this little, like all of this right here, this attitude. It's almost like God's like, man, you got an edge on you, Gideon. Like, woo, coming in hot, right? Like Gideon's kind of getting at God. He's like, hey, this whole, this whole thing right here, this little attitude, this little kind of rebellious thing, go in this strength you have. It's almost like God is saying to Gideon, like, you're not perfect, man, but I can, I can use what you got going on here. Like this, this little thing right here. Go in this strength. Like man would be like, hey man, I need you to get on the same page. I'm sorry. Are we on the same team? But God doesn't respond that way. Why? First of all, God's not insecure. And God isn't intimidated. This is huge. As humans, we can't understand because we are insecure, whether you want to admit it or not. Especially in a room like this. My like, God, you're all so beautiful. I'm feeling very insecure right now. And we are intimidated very easily because we're humans. God doesn't get intimidated and he's not insecure. So he's like, okay. So what many people have labeled as Gideon's flaw, God recognizes as Gideon's fight. He's like, all right, man, you got a little rough around the edges. I don't know if I agree with everything you're saying, but this right here, go with that. Because I can take this, flip it around and use it for good. God saw a fight and a farmer, and called him a warrior. I am not condoning bad attitude. I'm not condoning like aggressive behavior by Gideon. But what I am saying is that God can take what you thought was a flaw and what possibly is a flaw. And in God, when he refines it, he can flip it and he can use it for good, which should give you hope because you could be imperfect and God could still see a champion and a warrior in you. So he says, he says, go and this might you have. I think, if I'm being honest, in church, we need more fighters. I'm not talking UFC guys, although that would be awesome, guys and girls, if you're UFC. I love that. But no, I'm talking about like people that are willing to fight. Like got a bit of a backbone, kind of like Gideon. Not afraid to be like, hey, I'm just going to have it out right here and now. Like for a just cause. I'm not talking about throwing blows. I'm not talking about going out there and, and you know, and trading fight moves. I'm talking about like people that are willing to fight. Growing up in church... Growing up, we were kind of taught to be nice. I don't think anyone thought this, but um, we were like, you're a Christian, be nice. I was always taught to be nice as a, as a kid. I was bigger. Um, my grandma called me big boned. <laughs> that's code word for fat, and that's okay. I know what she was saying. I just said I was large and in charge. And, um, but they would tell me, Bill, you got to be nice with the other kids, okay? You can't play with the other kids. Like, you can't sit on your brother, you'll rupture his spleen, Okay. Billy, you can give piggyback rides, but you can't get piggyback rides because you'll telescope their spine. <laughs> you know, like, so my whole life, I was this big kid, but I was a very, very nice big kid. I'll never forget, we're at the bus stop one day in Baltimore where I was a young kid, I was very young, and me and my brother got off the bus and a bully goes to throw a rock at me. I dodge, I got ninja-like reflexes, it's not a big deal. It hits my brother Joey in the head, it cuts him, starts bleeding. Joey's crying, he's bleeding. And It dawns on me like, that's not fair. This isn't good. That's unjust. Something needs to be done. So I begin to chase the bully. Well, it's hilarious because I'm running top speed, and he's walking backwards, and I'm not gaining on him. And it dawns on me as I'm running around trying to chase him. When I say running, I mean barely moving. And it dawns on me like I don't even know what I'm going to do when I get to this guy because I've been taught my whole life how to be nice, but I don't know what it is to fight. And so I remember I never got to them. And I remember just like putting my fists in the air and standing in the middle of the field as they mocked me, just crying. like ah! you know, and I, I didn't know what to do. And I feel like sometimes in Christianity, we're like, hey, we need to be nice. I don't think Jesus has called us to be nice. Jesus isn't nice. Now, don't get it confused. Kind and nice are very different. We're kind. But kind has strength. Um, we're compassionate. Compassionate, there's some strength and empathy. All of those things are great. We're gracious, we are selfless, but nice, nice. Jesus was a fighter. Don't make me prove it to you. There is this one passage in John 18 where Jesus is being arrested by a bunch of guards and Peter, one of his close friends, pulls out a sword and chops off the ear of one of the guards and Jesus says this, Peter, put your sword away. And then he goes and heals the guy's ear. And then he says this phrase, because people are like, oh see, See, he doesn't fight. No, he goes, shall I not drink the cup God has given me? Jesus was saying, I'm going to fight. I'm just not going to fight the way you fight. Make no mistake. Jesus goes to the cross. He fights persecution, faith, obedience. In the Garden of Gethsemane, he has to fight the battle of obedience. He does what God tells him to do. In the tomb, he fights the battle of faith, raises from the dead. He wins. So when people ask, where is God? I like to propose he is currently fighting on your and my behalf. That's where God is, God is a fighter. And there's something inside of you that like tempts you, not in a bad way to like, there's the edge, my future, this is risk, the thing inside of you that's like, maybe if I, I don't, maybe if I just stepped out, that comes from God. That fight inside of you that says, no, no, it shouldn't be this way, enough is enough. That, when it's right, now Gideon had some bad parts, about it, but God sees that and he said, hey, 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 You're a little rough around the edges, but I could take that and I could use that and we could actually do something great. The third question is one I relate with the most right now, currently in this season of my life. Gideon says, how can I do it? Not how can it be done? That's an honest question. He says, how can I do it? Uh, How many dreams have been abandoned because of the question how? How many times have I thought something big? Maybe I'll start that business. Maybe, maybe, I'll, maybe I'll do that big thing. Maybe I'll step out. Maybe I'll ask. Maybe I'll ask her for her number. Maybe I'll, but because how, how would we pay for it? How would we, I don't know. And because of how, we just, we stop going for the thing that God put in our hearts. Because we're, we're, we're caught up on, how can I do it? Like, I'm, I'm the least. I'm not qualified. I'm not smart. How Can I do it? He says, can I just say this? If the dream that you're pursuing um, could be accomplished without divine intervention, then your dream probably isn't big enough. Can I just say that for you? Like, if you're like, I can do this on my own, then you should probably dream bigger because God's plan for you is bigger. In fact, you should dream so big that unless God shows up, it's not gonna happen. My wife and I were having this conversation on our Europe trip, and we, we talked a lot about like, you know, how are we, we going to get to things? I'm 42. I got my whole life in front of me, right? So I'm like, okay, so there's more. So how come, some of you laughed at me because you're 20. Shut up, man. I swear to God, I will come off this stage. Rush the stage. See what happens. I promise. Whatever. So anyways, I got my whole life in front of me. And we're asking this question. And my wife said the most profound thing. She's like, you know what I'm going to do? I'm going I'm to create a new starting line. I'm going to create a new starting line. I was like, that's brilliant. She's like, yeah. Because where I started before, like that, that was so long ago. And that, that, like, we've come. And so now I'm gonna be like, okay, I'm gonna start again right now. I'm gonna, I'm gonna create a new starting line right now. And I'm like, babe, that's amazing. The question is though, like, won't that be difficult? Like, to create a new starting line, aren't, like, won't that be, won't, won't that kind of be hard? And I think absolutely it will be. And if you're like, yeah, that's ridiculous. I mean, you want me to start over? Yeah, start again. It's gonna be hard. If you talk to any screenwriter, any novelist, any great storyteller, they will tell you the same thing. It's a simple phrase, no story, no conflict, no story. No conflict no story. If you don't have difficulty in conflict, you don't have a story in fact. And so all of us right now are living this story called life that God wrote and has a plan. And if there's no conflict in that story, then you actually aren't writing a story. And so I think sometimes we have to stop running away from the things we don't know and start going towards the things and stop falling back on what we do know. You know what I'm saying? Like, I'm so scared of what I don't know, so I just kind of go back to, well, I know this. This is what I'm good at. Think about it. Why did God choose Gideon? All of Israel, there probably were, we know there were professional warriors, professional soldiers. Why didn't God go to a professional soldier named Butch with a huge beard and bulging biceps and tattoos all up his back? Why didn't he go to that guy and be like, hey, let's do this. He goes to a farmer. You know what I think? I think sometimes people that have been on the cutting edge of what God did last are the biggest adversaries to what God wants to do next. Because they're like, I, I've done it, man. I got a lot of experience. Could you imagine God going to a professional soldier and be like, hey, here's the plan. We're gonna go with 300 guys. Um, we're gonna take empty jars, so dishes, um, some matches, and know, let's get some bugles or kazoos. Like that professional soldier would be like, you're crazy. I've done this my whole life. You see these scars? I'm not doing that. You're nuts. But he goes to a farmer who has no idea about battle. He's like, here's what we're gonna do. And Gideon's like, all right, you're God, I guess that's what we'll do, right? Because he doesn't know any better and he's forced to trust God. Are you afraid of failure? I am, just so you know. <laughs> uh, how do we answer? I'll just sh- I will admit, I am afraid to fail. I don't wanna fail. I don't wake up every morning and be like, man, you know what, today, I hope I fail good, yeah. Now, some of you are super leaders and you're like, I'm gonna fail forward every time. That's awesome, I can't relate. I just don't wanna fail, period. Like, I don't wanna fail. And so here's what I do. I gravitate towards what I know. I, and sometimes subconsciously, I gravitate towards what I've already accomplished. Like I step out and I'm like, oh, I've never done this. But I don't know how to do this. I'm really good at this. I gravitate towards like things that are easy for me, things that are comfortable for me, things that I feel qualified to. Because I don't want to fail, but I am telling you, we are going to have to. If you want to know how can I do it, you have to create a new starting line. of like, all right, God, let's start again. I know what I did. Paul said it this way. It's like forgetting what is behind and straining towards what is ahead. I press on toward the goal, towards Christ Jesus. Can I say it this way? I read it in this book, and maybe this will help you if you're a business-minded thinking person. Mismanaged success is the leading cause of failure. Well-managed failure is the leading cause of success. Mismanaged success is the leading cause of failure. Well-managed failure is the leading cause of success. So if you're afraid to fail, I say, fail on, let's go. What do you have to lose? In fact, we have God with us. So if you're afraid because you've never done it, you don't know how you're going to do it. I do not think that should stop us from moving forward. Maybe I could talk to the Christians in here for a sec, cause I is a Christian. Sometimes we get super spiritual in seasons like this. Well, we don't know. I don't know what the future holds. I don't know. I don't think I can go. I don't know, man. It's crazy. And so what we do is we pray for God to change the season we're in, where, in fact, it's that very season that God is trying to use to change something in us. God refused to pull Gideon out of his season. He's like, no, no, no. This is great. Okay, you're you're awesome. A little rough. We're going to use you. I'm going to do something awesome. So Gideon hits these three questions. Every single one I can relate with. And God's response. Here's his response. First he's like, this is awesome. You're great. I'm going to use you. And then he says, when Gideon's like, how is this going to happen? How can I do it? Look at the response of God in verse 16. And it's kind of matter of factly. It's almost like God's asking a question. Like God's almost puzzled. He's like, but, but I'll be with you. He's like, did you not hear, like, did you hear what I said? Like, I'm going with you. As if to say, I'll be with you, period. Like, end of story, no more details needed. I will be with you. That's what God is saying. Like, don't you realize, like, no matter what you're going through, if I'm with you, then that's, that's all you need. I'll be with you, so you don't have to worry about it. I wish I could live my life like this. My wife, Jennifer, many of you have met her. She's what I like to call a professional negotiator. Um, When we were in Europe, she always, she will get something for better than they offer. So in Europe, it's very acceptable. Like we'd be walking through the markets, there'd be something for like 50 euros. She'd be like, I'll give you, I'll give you 20 euros. And they're like, no, 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 it's too low. Forty. She's like, mm, twenty-one. You know, she's super, And I get embarrassed. I get super embarrassed. I'm like, you're insulting the man. Give him the money he asked for. And she's like, no. So I have to walk away. But here's the thing, Jim will just haggle and haggle. She's like, no, 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 twenty-one fifty. He's like, no, forty-eight. She's like, no, 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 no. And I promise you, every single time, my wife will get things for half off. Like it's crazy. But she doesn't just stop in Europe. She will literally go to Nordstrom's right here in L.A. I'm, I've been there. The price will be. $30. Who am I kidding? $350 for socks. Right. And she'll be like, she, she'll literally be like, I'll give you, if it's $350, I'll She'll be like, I'll give you, I'll give you, I'll give you 75. They're like, no ma'am, the ticket, it's not on sale. It's $350. My wife does it. She's like, come on, you can knock some off that. Like I can't, I'll get fired. She's like, you got a coupon somewhere. <laughs> like, and she gets things because she's a professional negotiator. My son, Caleb right here, recently his car died. Rest in peace. And he comes to me, he's like, Dad, I gotta get a new car. What am I gonna do? And I'm I'm stressing too. He's like, How am I gonna? I don't have money. How am I gonna get a good deal? And I literally said this, I'm like, Mom will go with you. And it was he literally was like, Oh, cool. Like, and I was it's it a true story, right? We're both like, it's awesome. She, and she got him the best car, new car. I think she stole it. I don't know how we got the price we got, I'm pretty sure we stole it. She's a professional negotiator. If Jen's around, like I ain't even worried. God is saying, how much more with the King of Kings and the Lord, if he's like, listen, you're like, I'm afraid to go forward. I'm afraid to get out there. I'm afraid to step out. I'm afraid what the future might hold. And God's like, but I will go with you. I will be with you. Which brings me back to Psalms 23:4. as I end. The piano player can come. Thank you, you're here. <laughs> yea, though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, I will fear no evil. Why? Because you should. I I don't know if you know this yet, but when you're walking through the valley of the shadow of death, you should be afraid of evil. In fact, true story. But the psalmist says, I won't fear evil. Why? One reason, because you are with me. And in fact, because you are with me in this valley of deep darkness, not only will I be protected by your rod, guided by your staff but i'm actually going to be comforted in the midst of it (sighs) why because god is with us do you get that god is with you i don't know what got you here tonight i don't know where you were last night or where you plan to be tomorrow night but i promise you this no matter where you go god will be with you i once sat across from a man who was going to do life in prison i'd only met him once His wife asked me to go see him, and I remember sitting across from the glass, we were in this, and he looked at me, and I I had no idea going into this this little talk what I would say to a man who will now spend the rest of his life in prison for something he he probably deserved to spend the rest of his life in prison for. And he looked at me and he goes, what do I do now? How can God get to me now? My wife and my, my daughter, I've abandoned them. And it came to me so clear, and I'll never forget. I didn't know what I was gonna say before I went in there. I was like, there's this verse in the Bible that says, even if I made my bed in hell, he is with me. It's like, I don't know what you're about to go through. I can't even imagine, but I do know this. You won't be alone. You will not be alone. And the psalmist insinuates that we will, in fact, actually walk through that valley, that deep, dark valley. I wish, sometimes I wish it said, if you walk through the valley of the shadow or perchance someday you possibly, but he doesn't. It's insinuating, oh, oh you will actually walk through the valley. I don't know how many times, but you're going to. So it says, "Yea, though I walk. It's insinuating, like you, you, you're going to do that. Some of you right now are doing it right now. You're in it. You're like, oh man, I'm, I'm in that valley. It is dark here. Some of you have come through it. Some of you are on your way to another one. And God's promise is this, even though I walk, through that darkness, I won't be afraid. I'll, I'll be comforted because you are with me. Gideon started as a farmer, a farmer with an attitude, in fact, and God told him to go. And Gideon had questions, but he did not allow his questions to keep him from doing what God said. And at the end of this chapter, Gideon is not only a warrior, he is a champion. And a hero. You will never know until you go. And I. I'm just gonna speak to people right now and I don't know who this is for. And I'm, not, I'm not saying necessarily maybe you have to move tangibly or physically, but there are things that you know you should go that God has put on your heart. And for whatever reason, you've been held back. For whatever reason, you're in hiding. God isn't mad at you. He wasn't mad at Gideon. God doesn't see you the way your friends see you or your parents see you or your spouse sees you or your girlfriend sees you or your boyfriend sees you or your roommate sees you. They're like, man, you checked out, man. You punked out, man. You sold out. No, God doesn't even see that. He's like, this might, I got you. You will never know unless you go. God, I pray right now, would you give us the courage and the insight from heaven to go and to do what you're calling us to do, not only corporately as a community at church home, but individually in our lives. God, I thank you that you're with us. And Lord, we, we don't have to get caught up on the question why. Lord, we can know full, full well where you are. You're with us and you're fighting for us. And Lord, the how is all up to you. But would you give us the courage, perspective of heaven, to go where you call us to go, and to do what you call us to do. And if we fail, may we be reminded that with God, all things are possible. You can't fail with God. Lord, you're in control. I thank you, Lord. Thank you that you remind us that there isn't a panic button in heaven, that you're not, you're not scrambling to figure out the mess of our lives. You are in control fully, and we'll go. I wonder with every eye closed right now, just in a moment of just personal intimacy, um, if you need to put your faith in Jesus Christ, it's as simple as what the Bible says. Confess with your mouth, believe in your heart that Jesus is Lord, and you'll be saved, that's it. Whether you're sitting in this room right here in Los Angeles tonight, or you're watching from your living room on an app, The Bible says, if you call on the name of the Lord, you will be saved. It's intensely personal and it's between you and God. And there's no ritual you have to do. Sometimes we like, hey, come to the front. And I'm not mad about any of that, but you don't have to do that. You don't even see that in the Bible. You just see men and women coming to the ends of themselves and saying, God, if you're there, could you? And the answer is yes, he can. And yes, he will. I'm gonna count to three. If you're in here and you say, I need to put my faith in Jesus. I've tried it on my own, and tonight I don't understand everything about him, to which I want to say you never will understand everything about God. That's why he's God, and I'm not, and you're not. But understand this. He loves you, and he loved you before you loved him. And even when you weren't looking for him, he has always been looking for you. I'm going to count to three. If you're in here and say, I need Jesus, I'm going to ask you, just, would you put your hand up just as an act of something that you're saying in your heart? The raising the hand doesn't save you. It's the decision in your heart to say, all right, God, I'm gonna give you control. I'm stop trying to do this on my own. I don't know what it all means. But if you love me that much, if you're gonna be with me in it all, then today I put my faith in you. I'm gonna count to three. If that's you, would you raise your hand and it would be my privilege and honor to pray for you. One, two, three. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you. God, you see and you know, and you knew before we showed up. Lord, I believe there are people, this was divine. They, they didn't know what they were getting into, but they were getting into God. And Lord, I pray right now, in this moment, according to your word, save us. Save us from our sins. Save us from ourselves. Save us from the prison of our doubts and insecurities. In this moment, we put our trust in you. We fix our eyes on you. God, I thank you that you are the answer we've been looking for. You are the solution. we've been longing for. Thank you for forgiving me of my crimes. Thank you for loving me. In Jesus' name, amen.